Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, as we take a week break from the Psalms to the New Testament and the Gospel of Mark 10, 13 through 16. As Dan prayed this morning, and I mentioned now, we have our youth leaders, Todd and Carolyn Bishop, Ryan and Stephanie McMunigal, Brad and Karen Hutchison, and Pastor Mike and Ann Dunford are up north at Camp Barakel with about 40 of our teenagers. That's why there's not a row of guys with their hair. If you're on right now live stream, usually you see their hair or their arms or their heads. Um, and they're not in the front row this morning because they are probably in a service right now. And then they will get packed up. They're priority packed up. They'll wrap things up and they'll drive home this afternoon. And so for two reasons, I decided to take a break from Psalm, our Psalm series, and go to a different passage. One is Psalm 23 is our next text, and Psalm 23 is like the Mount Everest of the Psalms in some ways. It is so rich. And I started studying that, and I said, I want us to be all together next week, and there without 50 of them not here, and, and I know that not all of them will probably be here next week, but we're going to take that, Lord willing, next Sunday. As the youth group leads worship, as, as the youth team comes and leads us next Sunday, the other reason, so the other reason I thought, I, I want to challenge you from God's word, you who are here on our duty and our calling as not just parents, because I know not all of you are the parents of the kids that are still being raised in this church, but you are adults, you are adopted aunts and uncles, you are father and mother figures, or grandfather and grandmother figures of the next generation of this church. And you are called to a special responsibility. We are called to a special responsibility, all of us collectively. We are covenanted together to care for the next generation of our children. The Apostle Paul gave an instruction to fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What did he mean by that? He meant do not provoke, live and act in such a way that you produce a type of anger. And I don't believe he just means that on the moment you don't have an interaction where they burst out in anger. I think it means that over the course of your parenting and living, you don't provoke a type of response that is ungodly and, and is contrary to what God's word says. And I, I want to say to us today, I pray that we would not provoke the next generation, the children that just went back, the children that are teenagers that will be coming back this afternoon, and some of you are here that are still in that children category that might be in this room, and some that are just didn't make it today, or, or some that are maybe watching online because of health reasons. We have 
a really important responsibility to not provoke them or hinder them from coming to Jesus. We do that through our hypocrisy or we bring them to Jesus through our sincerity. We could provoke them to wrath by our anger or our self-serving or our pride or our belittling words or are abdicating our responsibility to watch over them, nourish them, and bring them up in the word. Our failure to listen to them, our failure to be honest ourselves and confess our own sins and apologize and make right and restitution when we sin against them. We provoke them to wrath through our dishonesty, our cultivating wrong appetites, And we want them to have an appetite for God when they don't see any appetite in mom and dad or other adults in the church through abuse, God forbid, or excessive or wrong discipline, or a disunity between mom and dad, or overprotection, and an idea of controlling our children. We we are not in control of our children. I want you to look with me at the words from Mark as he tells the story of Jesus as he brings children into his life. Mark 10 verses 13 through 16 says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. My message this morning is called, Let the Children Come to Jesus. Do not hinder them. This is a message not just to moms and dads or grandpas and grandmas, but it is to you. It is to every person here, every adult that is called, because you are called to this life-impacting, soul-impacting ministry to one another. This passage right here in Mark chapter 10 is all about discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And story after story, as Mark puts these collection of stories that really happen together of the life of Jesus, he's teaching them something important that a disciple, as he said in Mark chapter 8, is someone who denies himself, takes up his cross, and he follows Jesus Christ And whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will gain it. And disciples are a key theme, what he's teaching them, how, how are they to live. And the disciples in these stories often are the foil. They are fumbling it constantly as they do in this story. They fumble what they should be doing. This passage and several other passages in this section of Mark talks a lot about children. 
And Jesus is on his way to go to the cross. And in 8, 9, and 10, Jesus is saying, I'm headed to the cross. And the disciples are trying to come to grips with, what do you mean by this? You're going to die and be crucified and then be risen from the dead? What does this really mean? They don't believe it. Let's look at this story in four points, or four parts. Part number one, we see in verse 13, Jesus' disciples act harshly. They, they rebuke parents. Oh, we don't even know if they're parents, but it says here in verse 13, they were bringing children. It doesn't say who were bringing children. We could probably assume that most of them are parents that are bringing children. Maybe it's family members, but they were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Here the disciples act harshly. And this reminds us, we haven't been studying the Gospel of Mark, but if you were to look in the Gospel of Mark, you could turn back, back a chapter before to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we find another story where John, one of the apostles, one of the disciples at this time, John said to Jesus in verse 38, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Here again, they act with a type of harshness. Jesus is going to put them straight. We're told that the disciples are in a frenzy. They rebuke whoever it is that are bringing these children to Jesus. I just pray that we will not be the type of people that will act this kind of way. We don't know and we don't hear directly in this story of why they were rebuking them. But from the chapters before, I think we can assume that in some ways these disciples were being motivated by a type of pride, a part of elitism. As we are the part, we are with Jesus and in Jesus' time, during this time of, in the New Testament, children were not looked on even the way we look on them today. We now look at little children and we say, oh, they're so cute. They're beautiful. Oh, we, we need to be kind to children. Of course, they're children. We have politicians who kiss babies. We have people that are, it is at least publicly right and correct to love children at least on the outside, in Jesus' time, they're kind of a nuisance. They're, they're, are, uh, they're there for, if you have them, you need to have an heir. You need help around the house. But they are not ones that need to be coddled. They need to be quiet and they need to stay away. They are not something that often we're viewed on as beloved. And here, they're in the way. The Jesus is about his kingly business. The disciples are making sure this is taking place. These parents are bringing children to him, and he's saying, hey, get out of here. Jesus doesn't have time. He needs to do this healing work, and he needs to do kingdom preaching work and casting out demon work. It leads us to scene two, or at least the second part of the story. What does Jesus do? He sets them straight. Jesus sets the disciples straight. He does that 
in the chapter before when John said, hey, they're casting out demons, but they're not doing it with us, and they're doing it in your name, Jesus. So Jesus sets them straight, and he says, don't, don't stop them from doing it. He says, if they're doing it in my name, if they're doing this, in this mighty work in my name, they won't speak evil me afterwards. Maybe God is really in this, disciples. We need to think bigger than you are, and you need to think with such small categories and even pride that it's all about you. In this story, Jesus sets them straight, and he says to them, it says he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. The word, this is the only time it describes Jesus as being this, this one word indignant in our, English, in our English versions. It means to be angry and upset. Jesus was angry and upset by the disciples' actions. He's clearly mad at his disciples for their harshness. And yet Jesus is not angry and mad in a way that is sin in any way. It was a righteous anger. I believe that he knows that they are hindering them from something really good and not letting them do something that's really good. And he is angry at that. And he says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. He completely contradicts them and says to them, stop it. Do, knock it off. You are not living the way, you are not treating them the way you ought to, and you are not seeing things the way you need to see them. And then we get to the third part of the story. What does Jesus do after he sees them coming and the disciples act rudely, rebuking and harshly, and Jesus corrects them, sets them straight. Jesus does something. He teaches a fundamental lesson, not, this, not about how we should relate to children, so per se, but he teaches them a kingdom principle about receiving Christ in general. And I hope we'll listen to this, listen to this very carefully. He says in verse, at the end of 14b, when he says, do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. He then says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Jesus addresses these disciples and the crowd and he uses children and that word children, padia, has the idea of little children, even babies. And he points to a very important universal principle and lesson about the very kingdom of God, about the gospel, and what it means to be a Christian. He says that they must become like children if they are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's another time when Matthew chapter 18 and verses 1 through 6, the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And he, he took a little child, maybe a baby, and 
He took that child, and in their minds, they're saying, what, why is that child here? It, it's in the way. It should be seen, not heard, and it's, should, it's inconvenience, and it's not at our, at our level right now. He took that child, he put it in the midst of him, and he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like this child, or, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, whoever causes one of these that believe in me to sin, it would be better to have him have a great millstone over his neck and fastened and drowned in the sea. Now, what is Jesus saying when he says, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You see, unlike what we might think, we might think, well, children, some children, humble and innocent and... I'm a parent of five kids. They're not humble and innocent. <laughs> I mean, I love them. They have wonderful characteristics. And there are, there are some things that are innocent about them, but very quickly they're not real innocent. There's a naughtiness into them, and there's a beauty in them, and there's all those things. But there's, uh, Jesus wasn't stressing the virtues of children and say, they're, they're so right, and you got to become like you were when you were little in that way, and that they have all these virtues, and then as you get older, you lose all those virtues. That's not what he's saying. I like what one commentator says. In this story, children are not blessed for their virtues, but for what they lack. They come, and, and this would have been so vivid, this would have been so clear to the, both the disciples and the crowd and the society at Jesus' time. Children are, are small. They're, they're powerless. They're without sophistication. They're overlooked and dispossessed of society in many ways. And Jesus is teaching them, unless you become like children. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They know they're nothing. They, 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 they come with empty hands. They, in fact, the younger they are in their infancy, they're absolutely naked and defended. They, they cannot even put on, they can't even clothe themselves without mom and dad when, at, when they're at an earliest dependent stage. They are so desperate unless you come and become like a child, not bring with you your accomplishments, your abilities, your righteousness, your actions, and you realize there is nothing you can do that can bring you into this parentage like a child would. And so he is teaching us at the heart of faith what it means to be a Christian. This is the spirit, this is the heart of coming to Jesus that Jesus is showing us in the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 7, we read of a story of a Gentile woman, a Syrophoenician, in chapter 7, and she comes and she's begging that God would heal. Child. And, and Jesus 
tests her and says, in that day, a Gentile and a woman would be considered an outcast and a dog. And he says, I, I'm not here to give food to the dogs. I'm here to give it to the people, the children of promised Israel. And she, with desperation, knowing she's nothing, but Jesus obtains everything, said yes, but even dogs eat the scraps at the table, of, at the floor of the table. And Jesus said, there is not, there is no faith that I have seen in all Israel like this woman. Jesus wants us to learn that there is something among these children or seen in this that should be a picture to us to say that's what we need. We need to be broken, empty-handed. We don't come with our contributions. Yes, we give. I don't mean that. But I mean that we don't think or have a mindset that we have... God owes us anything, but we desperately need him for everything. And with that, we humbly come to him. And then we look at others with grace and mercy and kindness and selflessness. And then what we find here in the last, I guess you'd say, part of the story. After these disciples act harshly and have a wrong view of the world, a wrong view of children, have a wrong view of how they should let them come to Jesus. Jesus puts them straight, teaches them this universal principle, and then he ministers to children in verse 16. I love this, don't you? And he took them in his arms and he blessed them. The, the parents that were bringing them to him said, will you just touch him? Jesus does more than touch them. It says he took them in his arms and he, he blessed them. Maybe he put his hands on them and said, I rename you. I, I declare Yahweh's blessing upon you. To you are the kingdom. Oh, may God presence be upon you. I mean, nothing like it. Nothing like it. Beautiful picture. He holds them, blesses them. This is a, a thing that would happen from Old Testament Israel, from Abraham blessing and Isaac blessing his sons and Jacob blessing his sons. So what do we hear from this, this little story, this little account of the disciples fumbling it? when it comes down to receiving children and Jesus putting them straight and teaching us and blessing these children. I, I, I just, I want to point to you a few things. One is beware of sinfulness or selfishness and worldly attitudes towards people and especially towards little ones. Uh, crying babies in this auditorium are not to be a frustration to us. At times... We want to be considerate towards one another, but we want the sound of children here. Amen. We want to see the hustle and bustle and the messiness of them in our homes, in our small groups, in our church, in our building. And we want to sing to them and love them, and we want to share Christ with them. And we need to make sure that our conveniences are not very important to us rather than are viewing them rightly. We need to be careful that we do 
view children rightly as our, if you are parents and as you're just members of this church. We need to see them rightly. And we need to come to Jesus and receive Jesus' grace with empty hands. If you have been a professing Christian for 50 years, the only reason why you are a real Christian is because you became like a child in your faith and realized you got nothing. And he's got it all. And, and he has all. And that's enough. And, and you're just, it's awesome. And that's how you were saved. And that is how you are to continue. If, if you are parenting, you need to receive Jesus with the empty hands of faith and show it to your little children and older children by the way you live your life. And if you're here today and you have never truly received Jesus, we call it being saved, having your sins forgiven, having become a true Christian, and then baptized afterwards as a mark or a public confession that you have come to him with empty hands. When I say empty hands, I mean... You're, you're not coming with the contributions of your righteousness or of anything else, but you're saying, he did it all. He died on the cross for my sins to take them away. He rose from the dead, showing that he has taken sin away, and he is alive, and he is the victory, and he has given me his life because he's promised, and I believe it. We need to learn from this story to receive Christ with the empty hands of faith. We are saved by his grace through faith. It is not our own doing at all. It is a gift from God. I love this hymn. We'll need to sing sometime soon, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. I'm naked. I come to thee for dress. Helplessly, I look to him for grace. Oh, may God help us in that. I think the last, I guess, lesson we can learn from this, or I'm sure there's more than this, but uh, what I bring to you is that we need to follow Jesus' example of love towards children. We need to follow Jesus' love, example for love for children. I do pray that we as a church will do that. I, I pray that we, I don't want to assume that we're just going to just do that. I pray that if we're going to, I think we all would say if we're going to be a faithful, obedient, living and vibrant congregation, a body of Christ that gathers week by week in Jesus' name and is to be a light in the world, we need to have a type of biblical, Bible-driven vision of how we view the next generation our children and our grandchildren. So that I pray that in if the Lord does not return, that in generations to come, they will rise up and worship Jesus Christ. And I pray that they'll do it in even greater faithfulness than we have. Now, as we, as we get close to wrapping up, 
I, I want to I kind of give a pastoral charge to us that kind of just kind of launches from this story of his call to us to bless our children. To, is I, I want to call us to five ways. And then at the end of the service, we're going to have five men come up and actually pray for these five things for us as a congregation. Five ways in which we bless our children and we do not we help them to come to Jesus and we do not hinder them from coming to Jesus. I have five children. Grace, who's at college in Minneapolis, and Paul, Elijah, and Barnabas, who are right now in Think at Barakel, and we'll be coming back this afternoon. And, and Mary, that's sitting here, um, four out of five are still living in the home. I know that you have children, some of you, some of you have them in the home, and some of them are already grown up. I, I know that some of these things, you look back, if you've raised your children, you might say, Boy, I wish I'd done that more faithfully. God gives grace to you. And God, may God use any aches, your mourning of your heart of saying, I wish I did this, but didn't. To be lifted up in prayer to say, but God, you are a God who gives second chances and you work and you give grace. And so I pray that you will work and undo certain things. And some of you may have sought faithfully with all your heart to raise your children in these ways. And they are not where they need to be. And you continue to cry out and trust God and don't stop praying. But here are five ways that are not just for parents, they're for you. And I just plead with you, will you help me in my parenting by seeking to make these things happen? Because if you all do this as a congregation, you help me raise my children in the Lord. We help others in this room raise their children and grandchildren in the Lord. Here are five things in which ways in which we bless our children and help them follow Jesus and not hinder them from coming to Jesus. Number one, show them how to walk with the Lord. Oh, I pray that we will show them how to walk with the Lord. I'm not talking about just getting saved, but the saved life, a real relationship with God, to walk with God. This is an, a, a language that's used in the Old Testament of Enoch, he walked with the Lord and he pleased the Lord. Noah walked with the Lord. There is a sense in which, oh, I pray that it will be true that our children will someday come and say, I knew a mom and a dad. I knew an, an adopted aunt and uncle of Faith Church, Uncle John, or uh, of someone here in this room that says, they showed me what it really meant to walk with God, to be in a real relationship with him. They loved this God with all their heart. They talked to God as though he was real because they knew he was real. He was a friend. Yes, he was, an, a God, he was his God and he worshiped and revered and was devoted, but they were close. He knew his God. She was a mother. She was a friend who knew her God. They were saved sinners in that they knew that they were walking with God, going somewhere of utmost importance in personal communion with God. Faith Church, this is what we are called. That's, if you're a member of this church, you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, and you are called to no higher standard. You're called to the high standard of walking with God. Please do that. Oh, I'm not saying being a perfect per person. You will not be. 
You will be a sinning parent to the rest of your, to the days you die. You can still be a man or a woman that walks with God. You could be a member of a church who has an impact on the next generation of this church. And many of you have been doing it for decades, well after you've had children in the home. You've been influencing our children to the good. Keep going. Walk with God. Here are some signs of not walking with God. It's when we do not rest or have joy in his rescue for us. And we're not grateful for, it's just not flowing out of our lives, a gratitude. We have self-righteousness in the direction of our lives. I'm good. I, I deserve for God to give me what I want. We have that kind of attitude. And when he doesn't, we're, we're angry. A sign that we're not walking with God is we have no desperation or fight against sin. Or the things of this world, our entertainment, earthly things, the approval of people. That has a a grip on us rather than God's love. God is a side dish in your life. He He makes difference here and there, but he's just part of your life, not all of it. Prayer, the word of God, church, it's not a priority. Sin looks normal and even acceptable, and godliness is weird and unappealing. To those who don't walk with God. And churches can be filled with people who are actually not walking with God. May we walk with God by beginning to look to Christ with empty hands and say, I need to receive you day after day, knowing that it's not me, it's you. Help me, God. First is show them to walk with the Lord. God, may may God help us as a church. May God help me as a dad. May God help you. Secondly, give your children, give them the word of God. Give them this book. This book is glorious. May they teach them to love this book like they love their eyes. Because with their eyes, they see wonderful things. With this book, they see and know God. May we show them this book as centered in Jesus Christ and the gospel of our salvation. This book brings us to God. The good, may we teach them that it is greater than all riches, as the psalmist says. Teach them not only to know this book and memorizing a few verses and catechisms, but teach them to love this book, love the truths in God's word, and discipline them according to this book and because this book is our life. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, the Old Testament at that time, which is able to make you wise unto salvation. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, lacking and equipped with ev- for every good work. This Bible, all of it, we're not ashamed of any of it. We want our children to know it. We help them ask questions of it and dig into it. We bring teachers into their lives. We bring the church into their lives. But this book is going to be vital. Is this book important in your home? 
Dads, is this book important to you? Do you read it regularly? Do you pray with this book? Do they know that this book is important? Are you memorizing this book? Are you prioritizing the preaching of this word, the hearing of God's word? Are you preparing your hearts? Do they know that you truly love this book? Give them the book that you are already taking in. May God help us with that. Thirdly, we need to demonstrate a joyful freedom of the gospel. We need to demonstrate, oh, there's something important and something that is so lacking in too many Christians that say they've been saved and they go through Christianity and Christianity is a bunch of rules and regulations so that we'll get to heaven when we die someday. Christianity is not that. It does include rules. Of course, David says, oh, I love your rules. They are my meditation all the day long. Because he knew that there was a God who had saved him and brought him into covenant. And we know and we must know that the gospel of our salvation, that Jesus died on the cross to save a sinner like me who deserves to be in hell burning forever because my rebellion against God. And yet God hasn't not given me that punishment. Instead, he has given me free grace that will last forever. And he has brought me into his family, adopted Because he chose me before the foundation of the earth and he has given me his spirit and he loves me and he's going to never stop doing good for me. He's going to, he has forgiven me all of my sins, my past, my present, my future, every sin of my thought, my words and my actions. And he loves me still in spite of all of that. And he likes me and he, And we need to parent that way, that that truth has seeped into our hearts. It should make us sing. And I say, we need to be singing parents, and we need to be singing church, and we need to be singing Christians. And I mean that both literally and figuratively. Literally, we should sing, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sometimes we sing laments, as we've been singing in the psalms. But a lot of times we are singing the goodness and the promises and the glory and the name of the Lord God. And we are to sing figuratively with our lives. Do, we, do our children know parents or adults in this church that have had the joy of the Lord in their life and they are singing with their lives? There's a joy in them. Thankfully, there are in this church many And this is a message saying, let's grow in that. Let's pursue it. And if you're not there, if you've never had a joy in your heart, it might be that you've never been saved and you can be saved. There's good news. There is something better. And that is the grace of our Lord Jesus that comes into our lives. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and show it to your children. Oh, I pray that... Our our children are going to see a lot of mistakes in our lives. They're going to see our errors and our problems, and they're going to see our sins and our mistakes and our imperfections. They're going to learn pretty quickly how imperfect we are and how unwise we can be. But I pray that they will see uh, a mom and dad. I hope they'll see members in this church who are able to say, yeah, but I have mom and dad knows a God who has forgiven us year after year and he's patient with us and he loves us and he's given me joy. And he's, there's nothing like following Jesus. Oh, I hope that you will love this great God.
There's so much to say in this. I pray that God would help us to be this kind of people that is winsome about Christianity because it is great. It is glorious. Fourthly, immerse them in loving community. We need to... May God help us as a church, that's where we all come in, and you as parents, immerse your children in loving community. In the home, and I pray for those that have divided homes with ungodly spouses, that you have a different challenge, and God, grace is upon you, and he knows where you are, he, he knows our frame, and he gives us special assistance and help. And that's where the church needs to come alongside But we as a church provide loving community. Our children need to grow up knowing a God of love as they see a God of love being displayed in mom and dad and the type of relationships that are happening between the two of them and happening within the home and happening. And if if that can't happen and for because of sin in this world, that sometimes doesn't happen. And it might be out of your control ultimately. But in this church, as you come in and see family, Oh, I pray that we, if, if you're a member of this church, you have covenanted with one another and the children that come in this day get to know their names and pray for them and care for them and love them and realize that they are a special part of your life. Even if your exposure, your impact in their lives is going to be somewhat limited, at least from your perspective. Oh, may we be a loving community that our kids would see a beauty of a church, a church that learns and shows and models to them and to the world what it means to love and to serve one another and to forbear and to pray for one another and to forgive one another and be part of a family that goes way beyond blood, but is the blood of Jesus Christ uniting us together? Oh, How we treat each other in this church will impact impact our kids' view of Christ and community and what he intends to do. Oh, may we not hinder them from coming into the kingdom. May we not hinder them by our our backbiting and gossip and our holding of grudges and of putting up personal preferences at a high level and therefore shunning and disconnecting from one another. May we invest in each other's lives and give to one another because we love Jesus, knowing they're watching. Lastly, I just want to say, there's many more than just these five, but number five, bless them with faithful prayer. Bless them with faithful prayer. If we want to help our children come to Jesus and not hinder them, we will be committed to praying for them. We will pray for them like Jesus taught us and Jason taught us a few weeks ago when he was preaching in Luke. We pray with persistence. We pray with a type of, I am not going to stop praying for my children. I'm going to pray for them every day. I'm going to keep praying that God will do a work in their lives. And we pray spiritually and biblically, by which I mean with right priorities. God, would your kingdom come in my children? 
God, I care less about, I don't care if they become rich and prosperous as the world defines it, but I pray that they will glorify and hallow your name with their life. Help them to walk with you and so please you and find that the joy of their heart. Help me to love you with all my heart and help me to love my children and that they would love you as well, God. Oh, friends, we are called to the ministry of intercession as a church. If you covenanted with this church as a member, it says that you would promise to pray for one another. And that, would inc- that one another includes our children. Oh, we pray for our children. We pray for, literally, Juliana and Liz and Cammie and Joel and Taylor and Kennedy and Avery, Ethan, Lincoln, Sydney, Sam and Allie, Gavin, Audrey, Evan, Riker, Layla, Braxton, Jasmine, Aiden, Kendra, Jessica, Jesse, and CJ, Paul, Elijah, Barnabas, Ava, Kaya, Dwight, Emma, Owen, Ryan, Ashlyn, Jacob, Kelsey, Cecily, Abram, Houston, and Lexi. Those are those that are up at camp right now. And there are some that I didn't name because they're at a different age and they're not here. And some of them to stay home because of they were sick. May God pour out his spirit upon them and may, may God do a work in their life because you're praying. There are some of the dear elder saints of this church that wake up in the middle of the night and they pray for you and they pray for these little ones. Don't ignore the call. Don't believe the lie that he wouldn't use you to help little ones come to Jesus. That he would use somebody like you and me to shape the eternal destiny of a soul. They're going to live forever in heaven or hell. That's sobering. And though God is absolutely sovereign, and I believe that, He uses the instrumentality of human decisions and human will, and he holds us responsible, and he ordains Sundays like this where we gather around and we pray and we get reminded of our duty and our call and of what it really means to follow Jesus. So may God help us renew our, and may he renew our strength. May he answer the prayers that Dan prayed this morning. May he answer the prayers that in just a few minutes, five men in our church are going to pray on behalf of our congregation for, they're praying these five things that they would be a reality in our church. Oh, I pray that if God allows and he doesn't return, that in 50 years from now, where many of you will be already home with the Lord and some of us will be very old if we're even alive. We will look at the next generation who have been prayed for and prayed for by people today, this morning. God answering prayer, the gospel, bearing fruit in your lives and being seen and preached through your words and through your actions and your transference of this word that matches because they see not only your words, hear only your words, but they see it in your life. Not perfection, but true transformation only explained by the grace of God. 
invite the worship team to come forward. We're going to sing a song conclusion about how deep the Father's love for us is. Oh God, oh, oh faith, church, we respond and we love because he loved us first. We have a love to give to our children only because he's loved us to the uttermost. May God help us. Father, I do pray that you would help us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our might. And I pray that we would love you unto our children and our children would love you. In Jesus' name, amen.